she and they, Felicity and Brian, were made for this. It was baked into their own DNA, their love of food, their love of conversation, of connecting with people around the table. It was certainly a place where not just one, but all three of my children would happily go. And I would be very comfortable with them being there because I knew that they were going to have an experience that sort of went across food and drink and laughter and conversation, dreaming as well, a real sense of fun, a real sense of leading with yes. You can just see it from the 30,000 foot level that all these pieces were just starting to come together to create this thing called Little Kitchen Academy. And it is absolutely a thing of beauty. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. When people describe Little Kitchen Academy as a cooking school for kids, they're not wrong, but they're just scratching the surface. As the quickly growing library of episodes in this podcast illustrates, experts from a variety of areas recognize the incredible opportunity that Little Kitchen Academy offers its students, its instructors, and the communities it operates in. Whether students realize it or not, education is at the forefront of the Little Kitchen experience. So who better to meet me in the kitchen than someone who has devoted his career to teaching? Steve Anthony is the head of school at West Point Gray Academy. And as you'll soon hear, he's uniquely positioned to comment on how Little Kitchen Academy is enhancing the educational experience. His insight extends far beyond that, as he also has personal connections to multiple generations of the current family tree. Now, with more than a quarter century in schools, Steve's seen almost everything, but I actually managed to surprise him with something during the course of our conversation. It wasn't with my celebrity comparisons, however, which is where we begin with Mr. Steve Anthony. This is generally an audio podcast for most of our consumers. Occasionally, people get to see the video element, but I'm supposed to paint a picture for those who don't have an opportunity to see it. So if you didn't know better, you might think that I was interviewing Stanley Tucci today, but this is not searching for Italy. <laughs> Are you good with that comparison? Are you okay with people making that comparison? I actually made that the little avatar on my email and it's small enough that if you look at it quickly, you'll think it is me. And then I've got a couple of key peers who have looked at it closely and said, I see what you did there. Yeah, I love it. I'm sure you do. But this has kind of been the story of your life, or at least I would think, because you grew up in Ontario, and I know the era you grew up in, because you also share a name with a former Much Music VJ named Steve Anthony. So I want to know, did you ever trade on that name? Did you ever use that name to get anything, reservations, anything back in the day? I actually connected with him a couple of times when back in the day, he used to phone into the radio station and had lots of conversations. He was hilarious, funny guy. He was a big name in Toronto back in the day. I, I'm thinking CFNY, Q107 comes to mind, but I may have the radio call signs wrong. And I worked for a number of years as a waiter at the keg. And so when I would show up to the table and say, hi, my name is Steve Anthony. I'm going to be your waiter tonight. There was this look of excitement and then this immediate look of disappointment when they realized, no, they got the wrong one. They got the B version. So who are you more like in real life? Stanley Tucci, who you resemble physically, or 
the former much music heartthrob, Steve Anthony. Are those my only two choices? I thought we were going with Brad Pitt in here at some point. That's what I was waiting for, Scotty. Come on. I haven't been able to work that in. Yeah, no, I'm not going to compare myself to uh, Steve Anthony of the uh, 80s and 90s back in Ontario and all that may have been driving and fueling his life. I think what he was putting in his body is very different than what Stanley Tucci puts in his. And so as I age, I think I have to lean towards the latter. I think that's a very good choice. Let's get to the reason that you're here today and basically a type of question that everybody answers who comes on this podcast your connection to Little Kitchen Academy, how would you describe it? Well, I, I have a number of connection points to Little Kitchen Academy. I've known Brian and Felicity and their family and their extended family for many, many years, for 25 years. I'm in education and I see such a central component of Little Kitchen Academy being about education, obviously, and I'm proximal to it. It is actually halfway between my home and my workplace. And so I travel by it uh, a number of times a week. And I will tell you, Scott, when I drive by that place, whether it's in operation or whether it's late at night and it's closed down and, it, and, and it's not an operation, it has this same sort of emotional impact on me because I see it, I know what it's about. And I'm so impressed with the creation of that as a concept and then what I know is going on in there on a regular basis. So I'm wondering, based on that description, Steve, because your children have gone through programs at Little Kitchen Academy, one of your sons works at Little Kitchen Academy when he's not going to school. How do you look at Little Kitchen Academy as a father? And how do you look at it as an educator? I think, you know, I'll start with the latter part of that. And that is, as an educator, we're constantly looking for those experiential opportunities for our students, those lesson plans that really have an impact. Those experiences that when the students go home and, and sitting around the dinner table at night and someone in their family says, what did you do at school today? And rather than getting the response, nothing, or what was your favorite part of school being recess or lunch, that they have this sort of an experience and they go home and say, I had an opportunity to do this. Also as an educator, baked right into, and that pun was not intended, but I will claim it, baked right into our own school strategic plan is to seek out opportunities to look for personalized learning for the students, those things that are experiential, those things that are relevant, and those things that are practical. So across the spectrum of junior kindergarten all the way to grade 12 at our school, I see so many places where what Little Kitchen can offer to our students through the lens of an educator as being absolutely optimal. You know, as a, as a parent, it's an interesting experience to watch my wife, Charlotte, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And whether it's at home or whether it's making it for the boys to take to school, there's that functional piece of meals and cooking at the home. And then when you get to a place with your own children that they want to play a part in that, they want to take responsibility, they want to have their own sense of agency, they've got something that they've learned, they're proud of it, they want to share it, they want to cook at home. And then you see that happening, and then they start to develop an appreciation for the different types of tastes and foods. As a parent, that's pretty exciting. Then to see, you know, my son say, I'd like to be a part of that on the other side of the counter. And I'd like to be in there actually teaching and working with the students on a regular basis. So we've got three boys, Miles, Charlie, and Sam. And when Charlie, our middle son, is home from university, he's been working as a chef at Little Kitchen Academy. And he'll go in and do sometimes one four-hour shift or two back-to-back four-hour shifts. He'll teach children as young as three years of age, and then all the way up to the teen programs. And then, of course, not only will he bring the food home, but he'll bring the stories home of what that experience was like. So I just think that's another wonderful thing for us to experience as parents. 
I do want to follow up on what you just said, and I want to come back to the parental piece later in this conversation. But as far as the education piece, there's been a partnership in place between your school, West Point Gray Academy, and Little Kitchen Academy for a number of years. What do you believe that partnership has done for the students of your school? And again, Scott, I think our responsibility as educators is to always keep our eyes and our ears open for those things that can exist that can enrich the student experience at our school. There's only so much that we can accomplish in a day between sort of an 8 a.m. or even a 7 a.m. soccer practice or basketball practice and then through the curriculum that we cover in the day and then maybe something after school. But the well-rounded student needs to have these other influences in their lives. And we can't always provide that at the school. We don't have the facilities. We don't always have the time and the schedule. And we don't always have the expertise. So when you're very intentional about creating a strategic plan for your school, you think about, as I noted earlier, where are those personalized learning experiential opportunities? Where are there chances that we can strengthen our relationships with community partners and people in the neighborhood to not just be a school that is on its own in its campus, but rather it can be integrated into the fabric of the local neighborhood? Where can we focus on personal well-being? Where can we guide our students to make those healthy decisions? And sometimes when they hear it from somebody else, especially if they're involved in it actively, and it's not the Charlie Brown teacher wah, wah, wah that they hear from us on a regular basis, we know that that's going to have a sticky factor as well, that there's going to be a residue to that. So when we realize there are things we would like to achieve as a school, but we weren't able to do all of it in the school day, and then we saw the evolution and the creation of Little Kitchen Academy, and thank goodness it was really just a few blocks up the road, we realized there was this synchronicity that was going to happen. There was a synergy that was going to happen. And connecting with them and, and being sort of one of the first community partners and saying, we would love our students to be a part of this. How can we structure that? How can we make that happen? And then sitting down with our team at the school that's responsible for electives and courses and scheduling and seeing a way to make that work. And it's been brilliant. It's been a number of years now, and it has been absolutely brilliant time and time again. This might be oversimplifying it, but the way you describe education, it sounds to me like your general philosophy is that there's only so much theory can do. There has to be a practical element to it and that you are trying to incorporate that more into the traditional education system than we've seen in the past, the one you and I grew up with. That's right. And I think there's an old adage, and now that I'm on a podcast, I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong, but it's that concept of, you know, you can speak to me or you can tell me and I'll probably forget it. You can involve me in it or explain it to me and perhaps I'll remember it. But if you actually have me doing it, then I'm going to understand it. And I think when we can find those opportunities in our classrooms, rather than just always being seated in rows and columns and having, you know, a shift to the Socratic method where we can have more people around the table interacting and being interactive in those experiences, they're really going to take something away from that. They are going to have that sense of personal investment and agency and, you know, a pride in what it is that they're creating and it's going to stick to them. Like the rest of us, the way you look at the world today, the way you look at education today has been influenced by the road you've traveled up until this point. Would you mind sharing your journey going from getting your own education in education to where you find yourself today? <laughs> How long is this podcast supposed to be, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Ontario and had an opportunity to attend Western University, enjoyed it for a year, but had some connections at Queen's University and I transferred there to finish off my undergraduate degrees. I got very interested in the concept of education, being a teacher and went to Teachers College at Queen's, 
for mathematics and physical and health education. And while I was at Queen's, there was an international job fair. It was the only one in Canada at the time. You had to be a teacher with a number of years of experience, or you had to be a Queen's grad at the time. So I, I attended this international job fair. And even just attending the fair over a weekend, it was condensed. It was concentrated. These all seem to be cooking terms, and that's not my intent, Scott, but I'm hoping I'm getting some brownie points there again with brownie points from you and maybe Felicity and Brian. But there was this really intense experience about maybe having a chance to be somewhere else in the world rather than sort of this area that I'd grown up with in a sort of a four or 500 kilometer radius from Toronto. And so had a couple of different job offers around the world, accepted the one that was in Monterrey, Mexico on a two-year contract, so traveled down there. And that was not only an introduction to exploring a new culture and people and a history in Mexico, but also food as well. And I'm ashamed to say that's probably the first time that I tried guacamole, this thing that prior to that had been this green lumpy substance that I saw in my life that I always stayed away from to now going down there and realizing that I need to make this on my own. It's that good. So I worked in Mexico for three years at an American school, traveled extensively while we were there. So those were great opportunities. And then at the conclusion of my contract down there after those three years, I wanted to keep the adventure going. Lovely woman that I was dating at the time wanted to do the same thing. We thought we'd go international again, but we did sort of a, a pit stop in Vancouver, this beautiful place on the west coast of Canada that neither of us had ever been to. And when we arrived in Vancouver, we thought, well, we'll get a job for a couple of years. We'll teach for a couple of years. So we'll, we'll go international again. And arriving in Vancouver in the middle of the summer... It's not the best time to be looking for a teaching job. Most of the schools will have already completed their faculty hiring. So I was literally driving around in a friend's borrowed forerunner, trying to figure out how the streets worked in Vancouver. I really had one of those large Rand McNally maps opened up on the seat beside me to try and find the different streets and the different schools. Somebody had introduced me to this new school that was about to open that hadn't opened yet. And they said the headmaster's name was Clive Austin and it was over on West 8th Avenue and you should go over there and, and see. And I came over and wrangled an interview out of the lovely lady at the front office. And he was kind enough to see me a day or two later and had a great interview with him. I was really impressed with his enthusiasm for creating something from scratch from realizing that there was nothing, there wasn't West Point Gray Academy, there wasn't this co-ed independent school over in this area uh, of Vancouver. And he was going about creating it. And I had this fantastic meeting with him where he said, what would you like to teach? What would you like to be involved in? Normally you might expect you'd go to a job interview and they would say to you, here's the job description and here's what you'll be doing going forward. And it was that sort of open book or open cookbook, if you will, where he said, what would you like to create here? What would you like to be involved in? So had a very good interview with him. And then I said, my partner, Charlotte, is coming into town on a, on a flight tomorrow. She's a teacher as well. Can I sign her up for an interview as well? And, and then she signed on. That was now 26, 27 years ago. And that two-year pit stop in Vancouver has extended. <laughs> it has uh, been 26, 27 years because we got to be a part of something new. We got to create. We got to review. We got to debrief. We got to change up the ingredients and modify it and see what worked and then make it a little bit different, a little bit better every single year, not always going on the tried and true sort of recipes. We said, we're going to do something different each year. And that was really exciting to be a part of that. And during that journey, we had a chance to meet Brian and Felicity and turned out that their three girls were 
virtually the same ages of our three boys. So we had a secondary connection between our children over those many years. So we watched their kids grow up as our kids were growing up. We watched their professional lives unfold here in Vancouver while ours did as well. And then there was this beautiful sort of connection that happened when Little Kitchen Academy was created at around the same time that I was moving into this position at West Point Gray Academy as head of school from head of senior school and continuing to look for more of those opportunities for you know, school and community partnerships within the neighborhood. There's a lot you just said for me to dive into, but I want to go back to a name that you mentioned. That name is Clive Austin. And many people listening to this won't know this, but I'll let them know right now. That's Felicity's father. He's the man who hired you. I want to know what influence he had on you. Clive was equal parts you know, patriarch of the school, father figure for many of us, <laughs> became grandfather figure over the years as we got to know him as well, and certainly an educator. Clive's got a long and deep embedded history in all things Vancouver. And there's very few times when I've been in a conversation with somebody in the community that they didn't know about or hadn't heard about or hadn't been taught by Clive Austin back in the day. The other thing I loved about my early interactions with Clive through the years is the concept of creating a community school that really, really intentionally built a sense of culture and connectedness at the school, rather than here's the academic program and here's the athletic program or that these things should be siloed or, you know, drop your children off in September, we'll work with them for 10 months, you can pick them up in June. It was very much open doors, come in, shake the hand of the head of school, get to know people at the school, really make those connections, make those deep, make those authentic. So there was this, and whether he articulated it or not, there was this value placed on relationships and relational experiences, which I then, I guess, adopted and made sure that I integrated that into all that I had a chance to do in helping to build West Point Gray Academy. So it's interesting because you've seen West Point Gray Academy from the ground up. And you've been there from the beginning, and you've also seen Little Kitchen Academy from the ground up. And as I mentioned, the lineage, Clive started one, Felicity started the other. What similarities do you see in what Clive did in starting the school that you are now the head of and what Felicity has done in launching Little Kitchen Academy? When you spend some time getting to know Clive, when you spend some time getting to know Felicity, you'll see the thread that runs through each of them is a sense of can do, lead with yes, adaptability, flexibility, but we're going to make this happen no matter what. And whether it's through sheer determination or particular expertise or the size of their heart, they will put the organization, the company, the curriculum, and all the people involved in it on their shoulders, and they'll march it forward down the field towards that goal line. And I think that that's something that I've appreciated about each of them. It's also pretty evident that they do what they do because they love it and they love the people that are involved in it. It's not checking in, checking out. This is just a job. This is a source of income, but it really is, you know, it's a passion project. It's a life passion project. It's a professional passion project. And when you see that in folk that are creators, you want to be around that. That's pretty exciting to know that you have a chance like they do to put your stamp on something, to create something, to question the absence or the omission or the possibility of something wonderful, and then to say, okay, I'm going to create that and make it happen. And again, that's something that I've taken from Clive. I've seen it in Felicity and tried to integrate that into my own leadership style at the school. And that's an invitation to both the staff and the students 
to seek that out, to not think that you're just a cog in the wheel, but there's a chance for you to find your voice, develop your voice and have it be heard to create something new, to create something from scratch. And to look back at that later on and say, ah, I put my stamp on that. That exists because I was a part of it or I actually created it on my own. The other similarity I see, even though I didn't go to West Point Gray Academy, Clive is my father-in-law. I know him quite well. I've watched that school develop over the years. And obviously I've seen Little Kitchen from the beginning as well. It's easy in theory to say, well, it starts with the students. But as you know, and you've been in education a long time, that gets lost sometimes in the business or all of the red tape that goes along with a business or some of these organizations, they really do mean it when they say the students come first and everything else comes after that. Yeah, that's absolutely true, Scott. There's the whole business side of running a business, running a school. There's the operational components. There's the complexity of all the different people that are in the zoo with you, right? Trying to figure out who's who in the zoo and then trying to figure out what everybody wants and, you know, put six of them in a room and you're going to have eight different opinions and you've got to sort out which one to follow, which one to chase. But when you realize you're in education and whether that's a school working with young children or that's Little Kitchen Academy working with young children in that element, that really has a refocusing capacity to it. And when you can remind yourself with intent to come back and say, what is best for the students and in my care, then everything else seems to line up and make sense. And sometimes you need that. You use your long weekends, you use your holidays, you use your summer to relax for a little bit. But then that's the time when the creative thinking goes on. And you, if you constantly use that as your guiding light to refocus on what's best for the students, then it all makes sense. And there's a real sense of gratification and reward that naturally comes from that as well. There's another similarity between your current role and the one Felicity holds at Little Kitchen Academy in the sense that you both went from directly teaching students on a daily basis to now overseeing the entire operation. Do you miss the hands-on and the direct impact day-to-day with that classroom? I remember when I was contemplating the invitation to become the head of the senior school. And early on in my teaching career, it felt like that could be something that I could see in my future. It wasn't something that I was aspiring to at the moment. And I got out one of those old-fashioned sort of legal yellow pads, and I put a line down the middle, and I put the pros on one side and the cons on the other about moving out of teaching in the classroom and into administration and the pieces that I would miss. Those touch points in the class, interacting with the students, finding different creative ways to actually teach in the class, and obviously seeing those aha moments, the laughter, the joy, the connectedness. I was afraid that I would miss all of that in the classroom as I moved into administration. But you start to recognize you can find that, you can seek that out, and you can do it on your terms. It doesn't have to be done because you're teaching calculus between 10 and 11 a.m. on the morning when it's going to happen. But now you can seek it out on your own terms. And there's a sense of freedom and beauty about that to find all the different places that I can connect with students. And I can connect with students as young as our three and four-year-olds in junior kindergarten. And then I can have lunch with the 17 and 18-year-olds that are getting ready to contemplate leaving the, the wolf pack and going on to university. And the other thing that happens that sort of offsets that loss of daily interaction with the students in the class is, once again, that chance to know that you've been gifted this opportunity to have an impact on the greater organization to seek consensus, to receive input from other folk and to think, how can you put that together and apply your own sense of discretion and judgment and experience and then create something for the broader community? One of the things Felicity and Brian both say is that if Felicity's having a tough day, and we all have them, that Brian will say to her, go to Little Kitchen Academy 
and just watch a class because that's her happy place. Do you have moments like that? And if so, what do you do? Absolutely. And sometimes it is heading down to the grade three class to goof around with them. It's going down to read a book to the grade ones, the junior kindergartens. It's heading up to the senior school to meet with some of the grade 11s and 12s about some activities that are coming up. And sometimes it is as simple as just walking down the hall to the staff room and coming across a grade one who's going in the other direction and having a little interaction, a little fist bump. He might make me laugh because he says, watch how many times I can jump on one foot. (laughs) Or she'll say, what happened to your hair? You have these really authentic, organic experiences with the kids. And it is, it's absolutely refreshing. It's a joy. You've witnessed a number of those organic experiences in the Curran's Kitchen over the years, long before Little Kitchen Academy was ever a concept. Did you sense at all when you watched your kids being raised alongside the Curran kids being raised that what Felicity was doing in her kitchen could one day be a business and have greater influence than it was having just on her family and those families like your own that made their way in there? Absolutely. It's almost the singular example I have in my own head, if that question was to be applied to any and all people that I know, that she and they, Felicity and Brian, were made for this. It was baked into their own DNA. There were examples of it. Their love of food, their love of conversation, of connecting with people around the table. It was certainly a place where not just one, but all three of my children would happily go. And I would be very comfortable with them being there because I knew that they were going to have an experience that sort of went across food and drink and laughter and conversation, dreaming as well, a real sense of fun, a real sense of leading with yes. And so, you know, I, I really got to respect Brian's entrepreneurial spirit and his business background and all the businesses that he had been involved in over the years. And then seeing Felicity. You know, if she was hosting people, whether it was for an impromptu Friday afternoon gathering or something formalized like a Thanksgiving meal, it was unbelievable. It was like you walked into something that should have been in the pages of a a food and living magazine. I don't know when she finds the time, where she gets the inspiration, but somehow you would think maybe back in the garage, she's hiding a team of chefs and sous chefs and everybody else, but there's always something there and it revolves around food and then food being the fuel that fuels your conversations and your connections. And then adding into that Felicity's background in Montessori training and education, you can just see it from the 30,000 foot level that all these pieces were just starting to come together to create this thing called Little Kitchen Academy. And it is absolutely a thing of beauty. This seems like the perfect time to ask you as we're talking about the Curran's Kitchen, about your own kitchen. Everybody who comes on this podcast gets asked, so I'm going to ask you now, Steve, what is the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen and why? Scott, the one ingredient that's always in my kitchen is music. In fact, we did a pretty extensive kitchen renovation a number of summers ago, and I remember meeting with the team that was going to be helping us redo the kitchen, and there were all sorts of questions about the tiling and in-floor heating and the lighting and where would all the fixtures go. And they were surprised to see that I kept coming back to, well, where are the speakers going to go? Like, I want them in the ceiling. It's got to be Bluetooth. I need to be able to walk in and say, hey, Google, play Johnny Cash or what have you. And that that music was going to be there in the kitchen. And I find that whether I'm the only one in the house or whether I've got others in the house, that music is there. And depending on what I may be cooking at any particular time, I'm going to set the music to sort of serve as that inspiration as well. 
I, I will say, I'm sure that I always play it too loud. And it feels like immediately when <laughs> my wife or my sons come into the kitchen, they're immediately looking for the remote to turn it down. But music is always in my kitchen. Well, it doesn't matter if you leave your kitchen and go to work or vice versa. Your wife is at both places. And this is another similarity that you have with Brian and Felicity. You talked about Charlotte before and how you two travel together. You wound up at the same school and you continue to be at the same school to this day. Steve, you've worked with your wife for a very long time, just like Brian and Felicity. Why does that work for you and Charlotte? Because not everybody can do that. Yeah. Here's where I insert the joke that we have a very large campus. And if we time it properly, we can go the entire day without crossing paths. Actually, if she times it, I think she's got it all sketched out on the back of a, on the back of a sticky pad. Charlotte and I both love education. We both love having the opportunity to create and to be a part of something pretty special. We love the community that we're in. You know, we've been here for 26 years. We've had numerous opportunities over the years to consider other schools here in the city, in Canada, or even international. But there has been something so special about West Point Green Academy that it's kept us here for that length of time. I think that we also, you know, can recognize the parts of us that are similar, that we appreciate in each other. And then there are parts of us that are quite unique and different. And so I'm always, and I can think all the way back to the first time I saw Charlotte teaching in Mexico was just her really authentic sense of connection with the students and her unending sense of creativity. She's very, very creative. And that's something that I can appreciate from afar and then I can use as a source of inspiration as well. So it works for us. Another similarity between your family and the current family is that just like Felicity unintentionally maybe gave them Little Kitchen Academy along the way and taught them and they were the test kitchen, if you will, your three sons that you mentioned earlier, you've taught them all, you've overseen them all as the head of school. What has that experience been like? Well, I guess you'll get a different response whether you're asking me, my wife, or my kids. One of my sons said as he got through high school and into university, it was the only thing I ever knew. So when folk asked what it was like, he didn't know anything different. This was what he grew up with. He knew where his mom's office was. He knew where the candy was kept. He knew that he could use my office as a place to drop his backpack. He had a ride to and from. And then I'm sure at different points during their their ride through all the grade levels, there were those other uh, complications that come with having your parents at the school and having your parents in positions of leadership and authority at the school as well, and sort of carrying that or carrying that burden. I would hope that our personalities are way we uh, arrive personally and the way we arrive professionally has been something that's been a source of comfort for them as well didn't make it complicated or difficult for them. And that when they look back on it, they'll recognize it was a pretty unique and special experience to attend such a great school, to live in such a great city, to have so many wonderful peers and influences, and as well to have their parents at that school as well. I'm tremendously proud of our sons, who they've become over the years, how they participated and got involved in school and and sort of really jumped in with both feet, choosing not to be audience members, but rather be participants and game players. And I think that hopefully they'll carry that on into their lives as well. And when I bring that back to Little Kitchen Academy again, you know, you think of the fact that it's ubiquitous. Our love of food, our eating. There's a book called Everybody Poops by Taro Gomi. And I think it was narrated by Morgan Freeman and with, of course, only his voice. And he talks about everybody poops and normalizing that. And I think here's an opportunity for Brian and Felicity to write their own book called Everybody Eats because you do need a precursor, right? It seems like that's backwards. And 
when you think about the fact that everybody eats, just having our kids go through that experience where there's literally an infinite number of lesson plans that can exist for our students to go to and to attend. So our youngest students will go to Little Kitchen Academy for a session and they'll be trying foods that they've never tried before and developing an appreciation for that. And then our primary aged kids are going to be going there and getting exposed to the complexities of different foods that go together and how to play a part in that. You're going to have student athletes that are going to recognize that they need to fuel their bodies in different ways than they had thought of before. And when they go to Little Kitchen Academy and and they get a chance to realize what types of foods that they should be focusing upon for the different types of sports and activities that they have, you've got young people as they get into their teen years that are going to be more health conscious, caloric intake conscious, food conscious. They want to know where their food is sourced from. They want to know whether it's got GMO or doesn't. There's an opportunity for them to learn there again at Little Kitchen Academy. And then our university-bound students. We want to make sure that they're equipped to go off and not be dining on mac and cheese and ramen noodles and tuna fish sandwiches seven days a week, that they can actually go there and learn to create something that is so much better and so much better for them. So it was that that recognition. I don't know if I've gone way off on a tangent. I'm a recovering math teacher, so I'm often off on a tangent anyway, Scott. I apologize about that. But this piece of having our own children be a part of something so special, whether it was the educational you know, experience at West Point grade from JK to grade 12, or it's those little kitchen academy experiences where they're learning to love food and have that be a part of their lives. We are equipping them for the future to be better versions of themselves and to be fully functioning, resilient, and independent young adults to go off on their own. And that's our job as educators, and that's our job as parents. Well, an excellent example of that that ties all of that together is your middle son, Charlie, who is pursuing a career in teaching, as we mentioned earlier, when he's not at school himself at Queens, he comes back and he teaches at Little Kitchen Academy. I actually interviewed him recently. I think you knew that. And I asked him about how much you and Charlotte have influenced him. I'm going to play this for you. Here's what he had to say. I followed their path, but I've always wanted to be like them too. You know, I want to be a problem solver. I wanted to be the one, you know, know what to do in a tricky situation when something doesn't work out, just like my mom. And then also like my dad, he he had a huge leadership role, which meant he had to stand up in front of the school, stand in front of parents and talk, public speaking. I was so scared of public speaking growing up, whether that was just doing a presentation in front of the class or talking to a big group of people that were just my friends. And seeing my dad be able to stand up and give a great speech, throwing some jokes, throwing some funny humor. I've kept my eye on that. I've always tried to incorporate humor into my own teaching, especially at Little Kitchen. You know, throwing some jokes, make some students laugh, you know, love seeing their smiles. But yeah, problem solving for my mom and the fluidity of my dad's speaking and his public speaking. They're huge inspirations for me in my teaching style. How does it make you feel to hear that as a dad? Well, this is a good time for my son to ask for an increase in his allowance, I think. Wow, I'm I'm struck. There's an, um, an emotional impact on hearing that. There's the recognition that your kids always save their best versions of themselves for other people. <laughs> and you get the crunchy parts at home, right? <laughs> so you so rarely hear those things. Thanks for sharing that, Scott. That was very sweet of you to do so. And um, just a reminder that even our own children, let alone the children that we teach or that we that we impact in our own careers, have many layers to them. 
like a seven layer dip, right? They've got all these different layers and, and, and complexities and things that we may not know that they've been picking up as they've been watching us and learning from us over the years. So that's, that's great to hear. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. And when we were talking, it certainly struck me as a father myself that I would love for one of my children to speak about me so pleasantly and admirably one day. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but that's what Charlie had to say about you guys. And as you said, you get to hear that impact sometimes through other people. You've raised such nice young men, such quality young people. That's my view in how I know your three sons. When you hear that from other parents, how does that strike you? It's a great affirmation, but you're always questioning. You're always wondering. There is no recipe book to follow for raising kids. And you recognize the things you had hoped to do that you didn't always make work or certainly for the first one and then maybe with the second and you hope you get it sorted out by the third one, but then they inject their own personality and you realize you're, you're starting from scratch again. Yeah, if we could imbue our kids with you know three key traits, I would hope it would be kindness and then kindness and then kindness. And if they can reflect that back to the world and to those around them, then then I would say that you know we've we've had some impact. It's a complex, crazy world out there. We all recognize it. It has been for a few years as well. It might become increasingly so in the years ahead. So we do what we can to equip them with the skills to be self sufficient, but also with that big, generous heart that they can bounce that back to others that are within their own spheres of influence. You know this as well as I do, and you get it at work and you also get it in your personal life. Parents are famous for asking for advice and those secrets to success. On the heels of what I just mentioned and having raised three quality young men, what is the best advice that you can offer other parents out there who are going through the tough times and just want the same thing that you and Charlotte want to raise quality people to contribute to this plan? You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and I think remembering that once you get through this tricky, crunchy part, it's not usually as bad as it seems. In the moment, it's tough. Charlotte has a favorite quote where she says, the years go by quickly, but the days are really, really long. <laughs> and we've heard that before, what that can feel like when you're in the moment. Another one, when we talk about not jumping into the deep end of the crazy pool, when your kids are struggling with something, is to perhaps take their lead. Rather than jump in there with them or snowplow or lead ahead of them, see how they're feeling about something and then sort of just use that to inform how you might interact with them in that particular situation. The other piece as well, Scott, that I've really appreciated over a career of 30 years in education is that they're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. In any given moment, whether it's a mark that they got on a calculus test or it's a relationship that they have that's going sideways or a friendship that blew up or they didn't make it on a particular team. If we work on this with a with a, a level head and a sense of being heart-centered, I recognize that they are going to be all right. And we are very, very fortunate to live in the country, in the province, in the city that we do. We're fortunate to have so many amazing options and opportunities where we live, where to shop, where to travel, who to hang out with, where to send our kids to school. I think they're going to be just fine. And coming back to that from my perspective has allowed me to stay grounded in those times when it feels a little bit tricky and to have faith that we're doing a good job in that. It's great advice. Although I wonder if any of the parents bristle when they find out that you are part of a gang. Because <laughs> I heard you're part of a gang, Steve. Is this true? Well, it's a, a gang, two wheels, scooters, 30 kilometers an hour, terrorizing the Dunbar area. 
pulling up in front of restaurants and ringing the bell. I don't have the leather jacket yet, but I'm working on it. And I've also been online trying to hack the software to see if I can get it to go faster. But I realize at my age, that's probably a very bad decision. But a helmet at all times. Absolutely. Especially when I dried it to school and then down the hallways to the staff room. The kids got a big kick out of that as well. I didn't know I didn't know they were in the school that early in the morning when I went zooming down the hall. You got to keep it fun. And you've certainly done that during the course of this interview, but some sage advice as well. Steve, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I've known you for a number of years, but I feel like I got to know you a lot better today. Thank you. Scott, the pleasure is all mine. We absolutely consider Brian and Felicity and their family and you and Fiona and your family as family. A lot of love, a lot of happiness, a lot of appreciation for the good that we have in our lives. And again, reaffirmed connecting with you today. I appreciate that. Thanks for the good work that you're doing. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 